Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, EncounterChurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. We're in a series, actually part 11, only two more weeks in this study on the book of Philippians. It has been a outstanding time of diving in to God's Word, allowing it to resonate inside of us. We're calling this series, No Matter What. Why are we doing that? Because over and over in the book of Philippians, Paul is talking to the church of Philippi, and honestly, I believe talking to us, and he says, no matter what you experience in life, no matter what you go through, it doesn't really matter on this side, but What you need to do is respond with joy. Now, not joy in your own ability, not joy in what the world has to offer, but joy in the Lord. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. But how many of you would agree with me today that life is stressful? Okay, last week more of you said yes. Let me ask that again. How many of you would agree with me that life can be stressful? Absolutely. So last Sunday, I began a two-week study on the very beginning portion of Philippians chapter 4. I gave you the first uh, three points. Today, I want to give you the final three points of that. But look at our text found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and the beginning of 7. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Would you say that with me? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Let me pause there just for a moment. I think that sometimes is where we fail. Come on, look at that. Do we really thank God for what he's already done? We may grab a hold of that, that pray about thing. We would probably still worry, but we need to remind ourselves not to worry. Pray about everything and thank God for all he has done. We're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The peace that God has available for you and the peace that God has available for me is far greater than what this world has to offer. How many of you would agree with me that the peace that the world has to offer is very contingent upon everything lining up just right? This morning, I want to recap very quickly the first three points that I gave you last week. That'll set us up for where we're headed today. But Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 4 to give us the theme of this entire chapter. And this whole chapter is based around this idea of we must learn to grab a hold of joy. We must allow joy to be a very uh, integral part of of our lives. He says in Philippians 4 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let me recap the first three. Number one was this. Do you remember it? Worry about what? Nothing. nothing. Worry about nothing. Verse 6 says, be anxious 
for nothing. One translation says, don't worry about anything. There's nothing in this world, no one, no situation, no circumstance. There's nothing that you need to worry about. Why? Because in these moments of worry, in these moments of strife, in these moments of difficulty, what we need to do is give it to God to rely upon him. Why? Because right now we are limited to what we know now and what we did yesterday. Some of us can't remember yesterday. Right? But we serve a God that is all-knowing. We serve a God that isn't limited to here and now. So why not put your situation in his hands? Why not turn it over to him? Because he's already got it figured out. Matthew chapter 6 says this, people who don't know God or the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. And then he begins to give us a little um, direction of what we need to do in, in life. He says, steep yourself. In other words, saturate yourself. Allow all that God is, allow all that he is now, was, and ever will be to consume you. Saturate yourself in God reality, God initiative, and God provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Come on, if we look at this, if we begin to place our situation before him, if we begin to lay it at his feet and allow all that he is to consume us, to, to overflow in us, to that, that way every step that we take, every move that we make, a little bit of God sloshes out, Right? Saturate yourself. Matthew goes on to say, you'll find that your everyday human concerns will be met. Unfortunately, many times, rather than saturating ourselves in the things of God, we saturate ourselves in our shortcomings, our failures, guilt, Sorrow, difficulty, roadblocks. And we wonder why we can't get past this. You see, there comes a point in time that you've got to change the environment in which you are residing. I've got to move on. This is just a recap. I've discovered something. Worrying is assuming a responsibility that God never intended for us to assume. The battle's not ours. I'm not making this stuff up. The, the Bible says the battle is not ours. The battle is his. The victory is ours. The victory is ours. So why, if the victory is ours, do we keep hanging out in the destruction and the battles of life? Because we're assuming a responsibility that we were never designed to assume. Worry about nothing. Look at your neighbor this morning. Say, worry about nothing. 
Strategy number two, look at your other neighbor, you know your second choice, and say, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Paul is saying, don't panic, just pray. I know that's hard. That's difficult. When you're facing that opposition in life, the human side of you wants to just grab a hold of that worry. You want to hang out with that worry. You want to hug it close to you like a teddy bear. Paul says, man, the solution that you need in life is let it go and saturate yourself in the things of God. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Keep your mind in an attitude of prayer. Allowing yourselves to remain in unity with the mind of Christ. Don't worry. Pray. It's taking that time to to refocus a very distorted picture of our situation. The moment we begin to worry, suddenly that situation that was once this large, the more you worry, the more it grows. The bigger it gets, the more difficult it appears that it's going to be to overcome. But, but even when it's here, if we will just give it to God. Are you checking with me this morning? If we will just lay it before him, let him take the load. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Number three, thank God for all things. Thank God for all things. Verse six, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. There's always something to be thankful for. No matter how bleak your situation may be, no matter how difficult it may appear, no matter how frustrated you are, there is always something to be grateful for. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Thank God for what he has done. And strategy number four. Are you ready for this? Accept God's grace. Accept God's grace. Verse 7 says this, then, okay, what, what's leading up to a then? There's got to be something that brought us up to a, a then. We just read it over and over. Don't worry about anything. It said pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, so after you've already done the hard work, after, you, after you've already laid it to the side, after you've already given it to him, and you've already called out to him, and you begin to worship him and thank him and praise him and allow yourself to be saturated in him, and now you're grateful for all he's done, now Paul says, accept the grace. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love how the message paraphrase reads this same section of Scripture. Let me read that to you. It says this, Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Let's pause there for a moment. Some of you 
It's been a while since you've felt a sense of God's wholeness. How do, you, how do you get to that place? How do you come to that place of truly experiencing a sense of God's wholeness? You saturate yourself in God reality, in God initiate, right? You allow all that he is to consume you. And in that moment, suddenly you sense a, a, a goodness, a, a wholeness of who he is consume all that you are. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness will come and settle you down. Anybody in the room needs settled down from time to time? Me and one other person in the room. Okay. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. You know what I see here? God doesn't just step in and, and mask the situation for you. He doesn't just walk up and go, you know what you need to do? If you just put on a smile, nobody will know. But no, no, no. At the very core of who you are, he, he displaces that struggle. He displaces that worry. He displaces that opposition. And in that void, in that emptiness, he places his peace and his grace. And he says, it's all that you need. Sounds great in word, doesn't it? I mean, we read this scripture and we're like, man, that is really good. As I turn it over to God, as I stop worrying, as I begin to pray, as I tell God what I need and I thank him for all he's done, I can suddenly experience his peace and his grace as it radiates through my life. That is awesome. But if we're being completely honest this morning, sometimes this particular step is a little difficult. We admit that we need God's grace, but when it comes to the points of releasing control, when it comes to the point of allowing God to take the reins of our lives, in other words, to lead us and guide us and steer us, when it comes to the point of allowing God to displace the trouble, because some of us, even though we don't like the trouble, even though we don't like the worry, even though we don't like the opposition, we've become comfortable with it. It's familiar territory. It's what we know. We're used to just hanging out in this territory, in this zone. So actually releasing that and allowing God to make the change is somewhat difficult in life. But in Romans chapter 4, it says this. So the promise is received by faith. Remember, every promise in this book is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The promise is received by faith. It is given as a, say it with me, free gift. Say it again. It is given as a free gift. In order to receive a gift, I must reach out and take it. Whether that's a, a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, 
whatever it happens to be, before I take possession of it, before I grab a hold of it, all it is is an item in a box or a bag or still in the Walmart sack. Depends on how lazy you are. Until I grab a hold of it and take possession, it's just an item. Can I share with you this morning, can I submit to you today that God's grace is much the same? Until we take the moment to reach out and accept it. Oh, it's still grace, but it's not ours yet. I want to remind you of Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, I press on to take possession of that perfection with Christ Jesus first possessed me. Just as Paul pressed in to take possession of this life that Jesus Christ made available for him, I challenge you today, press in to take possession of the grace that God has made available for you. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm not good enough to receive God's grace. You're right. But neither am I. Neither is the person sitting to your right or the left. Not a single one of us are good enough That's why it's grace. That's why it's grace. So let's talk about a couple things. Why is grace so amazing? Or what's so amazing about grace? Number one, grace is contrary to human logic. Grace doesn't make sense. How can one man, one death, on one afternoon... Be so powerful that it can change the course of all history and humanity for all time. That doesn't make sense. But can I tell you this morning, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. One man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. One death died on the cross of Calvary one afternoon for you and for me. Changed the course of our lives. Gave us a reason for tomorrow. Gave us a hope for our next breath. Gave us a reason for that next step. Gave us a brand new home for all eternity in heaven. See, instead of earning wages, God dispenses grace. He offers his good gift to you. Not according to earnings. Not according to how many good things I've done. How many ton of rock I push on a Saturday. Not by the amount of times that I volunteer in this area of the church or that area of the church. Not according to fairness. Because if this was the case, can I be honest with you? Every one of us would end up in hell. Because we all fall short. Grace. It's not about who finishes first. 
It's not about who finishes last. It's not totaling all the good or all the bad and, and coming up with some sort of, of balanced scale. Grace is about an unconditional acceptance in Jesus Christ. It was Peter that was struggling. The Bible said he had a thorn in his flesh. And three times he called out to God, take it away from me. But all three times, this was God's response. My grace is all you need. See, grace, it's so contrary to human logic. But here's a second part about grace. Grace seeks us out. Grace seeks you out. Grace seeks me out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is real love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God took the initiative in seeking you out. There's absolutely nothing in us that should make Jesus desire to seek us out. Right? Not a single one of us is cool enough. Not a single one of us should be the first draft pick. Not a single one of us are perfect enough. But grace causes Jesus to look at you, to look at me and go, you know what? I'm going to seek you out. Because I love you. I heard about a man once that started an orphanage. This particular orphanage was filled with children, obviously without parents. But these were very special children. You see, he didn't fill his orphanage with the cutest little kid. You know, the one with the big eyes and the big eyelashes that twinkle at you? No, but his orphanage was filled with children that were disfigured. Physically mangled or even crippled. You know, the kids that seemingly no one else would ever want. One particular day, this gentleman heard of a little girl in his community whose parents had passed away in a fire. The little girl had survived the fire, but she was horrifically disfigured and scarred. He went to see her and asked if she would like to live at his orphanage with him and the rest of the children. Her response was this, Sir, you don't want me. Look at me, I'm ugly. Nobody wants me. He reached down and he picked up the little girl, gave her a big hug, and he said this, you are exactly the little girl I want to be part of our family. And I look at that story and I realize that's what grace does. When we, you and I, when we were crippled and scarred and, and mangled by sin, grace sought us out. You are the kind of person that God wants to pour his love and his favor on. You might be thinking, well, pastor, that may be true for others, but I wasn't that big of a mess when I came to become a Christian. 
I was a pretty good person. Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, we can't measure how good or bad because we all fall short. We all fall in the bad brackets on our own. For the wages of sin is death. Without Jesus Christ in our lives, there is no hope. We're all spiritually mangled. There's not a single one of us that is righteous enough by ourselves. We all fall short. Therefore, grace seeks us out when we're okay, when we're broken, when we're a complete mess. Grace seeks us out. Strategy number five of reducing stress in life is think about right things. Think about right things. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And I love when he says this because this is a doozy. It's not like a little small word of advice on the way out the door, you know, a last moment thought. No, this is a big one. He says one final thing. Fix your thoughts. In other words, you need to change the way you're thinking. You need to make some alterations because the trek you're going down right now, the pathway that you're heading down right now, the choices that you're allowing to consume you or saturate you right now, they're leading you down a destructive road. So he says one final thought. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You see, to reduce stress, we must change the way we think. Here's the great thing. God has given you the freedom to choose what you will think about, what you will allow to consume you or saturate you on a regular basis. Looking around at, at our society and our culture, what some people are allowing in their minds, there is no wonder that they have the difficulties that they have. Many people, including many Christians, are totally indiscriminate about what they allow to enter their minds. They allow trashy garbage, reading material, movies, songs that are unhealthy, conversations with others that are unhealthy in their mind. And then they wonder why they are worrying and why they're depressed. So I ask you today, What's dominating your mind? If you were to print out a report, to export a report of your recent thought process, and you were to, to lay it out on a scale beginning with what received the most amount of space to what received the least amount of space, what would consume the majority of your thought process? What's dominating your mind? 
Paul suggests that whatever you're thinking about all the time is what you will become. Come on, wrap yourself around this. What you're thinking about all the time is what you will become. It's time to change the way we think, to adjust what saturates our mind, to fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, to think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, rather than focusing in on the dismay, the struggle, the strife, or even the stress. We are to set our minds on the things of God, to seek first the kingdom of God and allow him to lead us down that right path. Because when we change our focus, when we change what we're saturating ourselves with, when we move from our situation to the things of God, our perspective on not only our situation, but our entire life begins to change. Many of us in the room, we need to change our perspective on the situation. We need to allow ourselves to see it through the eyes of Jesus Christ. How do we get there? Again, we saturate ourselves. I remember when my son, he's now a junior in college. He would love that I'm telling this story. But he was about three years old. And Chandler, if you know Chandler very well, um, he's always been like a 47-year-old, um, regardless how old he was. So even at, at three, one day we were sitting in the living room, and I happened to be on the floor for some reason, and he was sitting on the arm of the couch. He looked down at me, and he said, Dad, I'm getting a new perspective on life from this place. getting a new perspective and I wonder how many of us need to move from the cushion of the couch we need to move from the floor in front of the couch to the arm of the couch just so we can get a new perspective on life we need to take the time to change that which we're thinking about finally strategy number six Begin to move. Begin to move. Paul says in verse 9, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Let me pause. He says, keep putting into practice. What does that tell me? It tells me that he's expecting that you're already doing that. That something is already being done. That something is already being accomplished. There are some of us in the room that we haven't begun to do this yet. We haven't begun to move yet. Today is your day. Now is your time. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I've talked so many times when dealing with the Word of God that it's not enough just to read it. You've heard me say it many, many times. It's not enough to be a hearer of the Word, but we must be a doer 
of the word. We must begin to do something about it. We must begin to move. If we truly want to experience all that God is, if we truly want to experience the peace that only he can give, we must begin to move. So I ask you today, what are you doing with the peace that God's made available to you? What are you doing with it? Just sitting on a shelf? Oh, look at there. I got my own pile of peace. That's nice. That's God's peace right there. That, he gave that to me on, on May 16, 1943, and it's been good ever since. What, what are we doing with it? Are we applying it? Are, are we sharing it? Are we giving it away to others? See, as we're saturated, there should be so much of him in us. Again, I said it a moment ago, that every step that we take, a little bit of him sloshes out. But the only way to allow that tea bag that you put in the hot water to become a whole container of tea is to use it. To put it in the jar. To allow all of that water to be saturated through it and it begins to dispense out. That's what God wants us to do. He said, my grace, it's all you need. It's time today. It's time to allow the God of peace that says that he'll be with you always to move you forward, to make you an example, to allow you to be a vessel 